So the species is found all the way across Europe and into Russia, but they're only actually at risk in the UK. They used to be found all over the UK, um, and that's as recently as the 1940s, 1950s, but their range is dramatically reduced, like there's hardly any populations. Thanks for tuning in to episode 10 of season one, We Blue Dot, a conservation podcast. Enjoy listening. Welcome everyone and thank you for tuning in to another episode of We Blue Dot. We have Marianne Collis as a guest today, Conservation Officer for Saving Scotland's Red Squirrels. Marianne has a mixed background of some amazing conservation experience which I'm excited to hear all about today. But most of all however, I'm glad to be publicising the plight of our beautiful wee red squirrels, a species that I've personally grown very fond of in recent years. So with that, Marianne, thank you for joining us and welcome to We Blue Dot. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to have you on. Um, so whereabouts are you joining us from, first of all? So I'm joining um, from just at the southern edge of Loch Lomond. Uh, that's where I'm based, both home and work. And yeah, everything's going quite well. I'm a bit stuck at home, as a lot of us still are at the moment. <laughs> um, not being able to get out and about as much as I'd like, but um, I'll make an excuse eventually. Again. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm based in Balloch at um, the Loch Lomond and Trossachs National Park head office. Uh, mm. They're one of our kind of project partners, um, but work for Saving Scotland's Red Squirrels as a conservation officer. And I look after one of our project regions, which is Argyll, the Trossachs and Stirlingshire. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say to start off with. Um, yeah, just tell us a wee bit about your job and maybe before COVID when you could actually go out and about and, and do stuff, what, what, what does a day normally entail um, in the role? So um, Saving Scotland's Red Squirrels is a partnership project. So it's led by the Scottish Wildlife Trust um, and it's got partners such as RSPB, Nature Scott, Scottish Forestry. So it's a big collaboration of lots of really big kind of conservation organisations trying to save the red squirrels, as the name suggests. I essentially organise everything in my region. So there's five different regions and we have slightly different things depending on the pressures on the red squirrels. In mine, um, in normal times, I escape the office as much as I possibly can. <laughs> there is some kind of admin kind of computer work, but I try and escape as much as possible. We do various different things such as monitoring, figuring out where the squirrels are, um, I also work really closely with landowners to try and figure out the different things that they can do to help red squirrels. I recruit and train volunteers. Um, I also do quite a lot of public engagement and education, as you know, because we've met yeah. through that and other things, um, which includes stalls at different kind of uh, events or organisations, some school engagement, and also via social media and things like this as uh -huh. well. And I work pretty closely with the Lot Loman and Trossachs National Park because they kind of host me and I am essentially their local squirrel lady. <laughs> um, so most inquiries that come through them, I deal with as well squirrel wise. So yeah, normally pretty varied. No day is really the same and some things can kind of jump out of nowhere at you. Um, so yeah, yeah, quite a nice varied role. Yeah. And I mean, all of Scotland's very pretty, but this area, Trossachs and, and, and the area that you work in is particularly beautiful. So I imagine it's quite nice when you get out and about in the in the summer months as I say and hopefully this summer you will be able to get out and about you know it's restrictions are easing yeah very lucky yeah it's a beautiful location so well tell us a wee bit about red squirrels then um tell us about you know where whereabouts do they live and what do they eat just any sort of fun facts about them yeah sure so they're one of two squirrels that we have in the UK they're quite small they're native which means they've always been here and they actually used to be found over the whole of the UK 
they were about 20 centimeters tall when they kind of stood on their hind feet and then their tail is almost the same length again at about 18 centimeters um they weigh roughly the same as a packet of biscuits <laughs> or a can of soup um they can live for about five to six years in the wild and they tend to have um litters of young which are called kittens mm. um an average of about four each time and they can be twice a year which is quite nice they at this time of year kind of april may time you're starting to see the little kittens coming out for the first time, um, learning the ropes, figuring out what they're doing. They're about seven weeks old at that point. And then they'll be independent at about 10 weeks. So you'll see lots of little kind of mini red squirrels bouncing around. Yeah. Their breeding success is really dependent on what food's available the previous autumn. So what nuts and seeds have come off the trees. And that's because they don't hibernate. So they don't have this really special mm. condition where they kind of reduce all their energy needs. What they do is they gather as much food together in the autumn time and store it away or cache it, bury it, kind of hide it in tree trunks. Um, that provides them with food for overwinter. So they don't have to run around trying to find things. They've already got all these little kind of fridges, as it were, mm -hmm. that they've kind of got ready. Um, and then in the winter time, when the weather's pretty horrible, they'll just stay up in their nests in their drays, really high up in the trees, a bit like we do when we kind of mm -hmm. hide away when it's a bit grotty outside. They're quite sensible. <laughs> yeah, they're um, used to Scotland, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very used to Scotland. In fact, they're probably better off than we are. Yeah. Um, their, their drays are really cool. They can be up to about 30 centimetres and it just looks like a real kind of mishmash of sticks with leaves still on and things. But inside it's like luxury. They've got moss and lichens and probably some bird feathers, everything that's nice and squishy and comfy. And so they do pretty well at maintaining them and making them as comfy as possible. And they can be quite tricky to see though, up mm. really high in the trees. It's better to kind of have a look when there's no leaves on the trees, like in broadleaf forests, and it's really hard in conifers where they've always got kind of their needles. And also they can sometimes kind of go into a little hollow that's kind of gone into the trees. So it's really hard to find them then because you haven't got this big mm. bundle on the outside. Mm -hmm. And when I've been out looking and trying to look for trees, as you say, they, I mean, they are quite difficult to spot. I mean, it's, how can you kind of give any tips to people? I mean, do they, they look like kind of like a big ball of sticks, don't they, as you say, and they're quite high up yep. in the tree? Yeah, it's really tricky. So there's not too many tips. Just keep looking up. It's probably the first one. And the easiest way is to actually find a squirrel and follow it. Like <laughs> keep an eye on it. Yeah. Um, but even then, it can it can be even tricky just with that because they can maintain several. So they'll maintain quite a few different ones, almost like having a house and then a summer house, mm. um, just because of predation. So if suddenly... Um, a predator finds one of them, they can move their kittens or they can move just themselves. Mm. Uh, sometimes they can get infested with fleas and things like that. So they just need to kind of make it a bit nicer. So it's quite tricky because they might use one one day and then they'll be gone the next. So mm. you're never quite sure whether they're active or not is the other thing. Um, and also other things can start using them too and make them into nests. Or, mm. Yeah, so it can be quite tricky. <laughs> and do they use the like the same ones year after year or do they constantly build new ones? They can do. It depends kind of how damaged they are, I suppose. Mm. They can maintain them to last a couple of years. Uh, we're still trying to find out because as we've said, it's really hard to find them and it's kind of hard to keep track of them. Um, and it's quite tricky to figure out if they're actually active or not because you've got to just see a squirrel going in and out. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they can be taken over by other species. So um, yeah, we think they maintain them for a while, but we're not quite sure on kind of the length of time yeah. at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're a mystery. Yeah, I've seen one video of, I mean, I've seen, I've worked on an estate that obviously had loads of red squirrels. And as you see, I remember seeing the little kittens coming out and bouncing about and they're just little mini versions of their mums and dads. But I remember seeing a video of like a, in a dray, you know, of the babies kind of from birth um, to growing up and it, they are so cute. And it, I'll try and find that video actually and share it on my podcast page um, because it is it, they are so cute and they're they're such kind of little characters I think when I watch them 
yeah they're great they're fantastic and they yeah just watching them all bounce around mm -hmm. and kind of watching the little ones trying to figure out things especially like one of our survey methods to find out where squirrels are is using feeder boxes mm -hmm. and trying to watch them figure out how to open the lid just can be quite <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely little characters <laughs> yeah yeah they're funny and what do the what's their diet i mean what what do they eat mostly yeah, so I mentioned that they um, get all the nuts and seeds from the trees um, in the autumn time, but obviously that's only in the autumn and it does kind of help them over winter because they can store it. Um, they're actually really good at telling whether a seed or nut is really good or bad for storage, so whether they should eat it then or bury it for later. So mm. they're really amazing at that. Um, and it's thought that a single squirrel can eat up to about 20,000 seeds from tree cones a year. Wow. But because they're only available kind of that autumn winter time, there's loads of other things that they need to eat as well. Um, so they'll eat fungi like mushrooms. And quite often um, they'll actually pick a mushroom and hang it on a tree to dry. For later. <laughs> uh, so if you see kind of a mushroom hanging from a tree, it could have been a squirrel that put it there. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, pretty cool. They also eat like new shoots and buds in the springtime. They'll eat fruits, flowers. Um, occasionally they'll strip some bark off trees just partly for their nests but also um, to get to the sap underneath the nice sugary bit of the tree um, mm. occasionally they'll eat birds eggs and also insects but only if they come across them mm, yeah I was gonna say yeah quite a varied diet mm -hmm. yeah I was gonna say I was wondering if they eat insects and stuff like that but yeah as you say it's if, it depends how hungry they are and and if they come across yeah. them I guess like like anyone and you mentioned a wee bit about their life kind of throughout the year so so how does their life differ throughout the seasons I mean I imagine in the winter they're just kind of just getting through the Scottish climate um but do they breed, breed yeah. like a few times a year or so their breeding's really dependent on what food's available kind of in that mm. autumn time because they need to have enough to get through winter and then to be in a really good condition to breed again in the springtime so they'll the youngsters will start to come out kind of April May that's the first one and they can have up to two litters a year but it tends to be if there's really good lot of seeds the year before and the last ones tend to be kind of September, October. It's kind of the latest that they'll then have litters. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, over winter, they're just pretty sensible and hide away. Get used to figuring out who else is in the area as the youngsters kind of disperse out. And then springtime, running around, mating, getting ready, finding all that food. That's quite a difficult time of the year for them because there's not really that much food around and their food stores have kind of run mm -hmm. down as well. Um, but then all the new buds on the trees, getting all the little ones ready. Summertime can be quite quiet. They're probably mating again if they've got the opportunity to. Um, and then kind of autumn time, the last lot of kittens are kicked out of the natal territory, um, have to go and find their own way. And uh, then they're just preparing in the autumn time for winter again. Yeah. Um, so the youngsters are actually left on their own to fend for themselves, figure out a dray, figure out how to store food. So unfortunately, only about one in six kittens survive mm. until the following springtime. So it, it's quite a, mm. yeah. Quite a high number. Shame. But then that's probably why they produce so many, I guess, um, at a time. Yep. So that, <laughs> yes, but, but no, it's interesting to know that they're just, yeah, kind of kicked out and then they get on with it pretty quickly. But I guess a lot of animals are like that. Um, unlike humans who keep keep us at home for years and years and years. <laughs> so what, and let's talk a wee bit about what they look like. We'll, we'll go into obviously talking about other squirrels that you can see in Scotland, but um, what do red squirrels in particular look like? I mean, they're not just red are they? they they do come in kind of different shades yeah so um even though they're called red squirrels um they do have a variety of different colors um you can get some that are almost bright orange and i have become to started to call these iron brew squirrels <laughs> they seem to be very similar colors yeah, yeah. very similar yeah. so that's thanks to many school engagements <laughs> um but then they can kind of a russety red as well uh, they can be quite brown they can be quite dark as well kind of almost black like really dark brown and then you've got other that 
are a bit trickier and they're actually a slight grey mm. tinge to their fur as well which can cause some issues with identifying them mm-hmm. compared to other species but they tend to always have reddish pores um, so that's one way that you can kind of keep they've got quite a narrow face they do tend to have ear tufts but again not always which is slightly complicated they molt twice a year so their hair color can change mm-hmm. so if you've got them visiting your garden um, you might think it's a different squirrel that's come to visit but it could be the same they just had a bit of a color change yeah um, so they molt their fur in the spring and in the autumn and it's essentially like we changed our jackets for the spring and like summer and then in the autumn we change them and go to our winter jacket so it's so they don't get too hot or too cold cool and um quite often they'll lose their ear tufts in the spring and summer we think it's just because their ears get a bit too hot um so they'll lose it and then they'll grow them back in again kind of in autumn time almost little ear muscle like a woolly hat for the winter time yeah so yeah their color can change a lot mm. um you can also get them in a couple of different colors and you can also with the the other squirrel that you find in the uk and quite a few different animals otherwise as well it's a condition that affects a pigment called melanin, which is a, produces a dark color. Mm-hmm. And if they've got too much melanin, it's called melanistic. And then they look like little black shadows kind of crawling all over the trees. If it goes the other way and they haven't got enough of the pigment, they can be leucistic, which is kind of white. They can have patches of white or the whole of them can be white. And it's just they haven't got enough. Or it's even further, they can be albino, which is when they haven't got any of the pigment at all. So they're almost white or yellow. And the difference between leucistic and albino is um, albinos have red eyes because they don't have any of the pigment in their eyes Mm. either. So you have to be a bit careful because even though they've got all the different range of kind of reds and maybe a little bit of grey, they can also be black or white Mm -hmm. um, very distinctly as well. So, yeah, it has to be a bit tricky. You have to look out for other things. I know. Well, that's that's (laughs) what I was going to say. I mean, as I've got to know them over the years, you, you notice more that you can the size of them and the shape of their face and yeah and the way they maybe hold their tail and, and stuff like that you do notice different things but yeah I've, I've seen some that are um almost black you know I've got wee black tails and then they've got a wee like a wee white tummies and stuff so yeah you do notice a real a variety but I I love the ones as you see like the iron brook in a color yeah I love the ones that are really bright orangey red they're um they're very pretty like they're a very pretty animal I think they're really oh yeah they're really cute and it's it's not necessarily their fault, but it's well, why is there a need for the Save in Scotland's Red Squirrels project then? Tell us a wee bit about that. Yeah, sure. Um so the project is uh, was established to help protect the current red squirrel populations and maybe to try and get them back into areas that they had been seen but not for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's basically to ensure that Scotland always has red squirrels and actually that they continue to be quite a big part of the UK's landscape. Mm-hmm. Um so the species is found all the way across Europe and into Russia, but they're only actually at risk in the UK. Mm. Um, they used to be found all over the UK, um, and that's as recently as the 1940s, 1950s, mm-hmm. but their range is dramatically reduced. Like there's hardly any populations um, further south in England. There's some uh, kind of in the north of England, a few patches in Wales, some on some of the islands like the Isle of Wight, and then obviously we've got them in Scotland here as well. It's thought that there's approximately 140 to 160,000 individuals in the UK and we're quite lucky in Scotland because 75% of that population is actually with us in Scotland Mm. so it's really important that we kind of protect that population that we still have especially since it's like the majority of Mm -hmm. the UK's population so the idea of the partnership project is that things were happening before but they were lots of independent groups so this is a more concerted effort to try and kind of get a strong long-term solution to try and protect um, red squirrels and specifically focusing on one of the main threats um, which I'm imagining we'll go on to shortly. (laughs) Yeah yeah well I mean it's quite um, interesting you were saying that they're found you know all over Europe and Russia and stuff I mean I remember being 
in a zoo in Stockholm and there was there were loads of red squirrels running about and I had my camera out and I was all excited and taking loads of pictures and the guys I was with were just like what it's just a squirrel you know because they're so there's yeah. such a novelty here and I I grew up in Ayrshire and I didn't I'd never seen a red squirrel I don't think until I moved up to Stirling area um yeah. so this area is kind of is it particularly here north am I right there's a bigger population of them I mean there are my dad has seen them down the southwest of Scotland as well he sees them but um but it's more kind of up in the in the Trossachs I guess and northwards so um the highlands is kind of untouched yeah. area so um central belt upwards mm-hmm. is kind of the untouched red squirrel area mm-hmm. as it were partly because of geographical features so um other threats haven't really impacted as much but there are quite a few pockets in um south of scotland too mm-hmm. just below the central belt where there's kind of a band um where they aren't really found and we've got priority areas within those specific places that we know there's really good populations uh, reds we know that there's really good habitat and then we're trying to work around those to protect those little pockets as well which is very similar to the situation in England and Wales mm-hmm. we're quite lucky in the region that I work because I've kind of got a really good divide of like this is where red squirrels are and this is where they aren't whereas everywhere else it's pockets that we're defending of red squirrel populations mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the populations in the highlands are just really crucial that we need to make sure that we're reducing any impact on them as much as possible mm-hmm. well then well one of the main threats obviously are the competition aren't they so do you want to go on to talk a wee bit about grey squirrels and yep. and why they're where they came from and why they're a problem for the wee reds yeah sure um so i'll backtrack slightly about the other threats because i think it's worthwhile mentioning them but the grey squirrel is definitely the main threat towards them there are a few others woodland clearance for instance mm-hmm. and felling and making um way for urban areas because of that and because we've kind of separated woodlands up as well road traffic accidents can be quite a big mm-hmm one depending on where they are um, and also because they're in closer proximity to us sometimes our pets like dogs or cats I've heard stories of them managing to get hold of red squirrels unfortunately um, but there are lots of things that we've already got mitigation measures in place we're already very aware of that and it was actually things that were already being um, looked at and helped with other organizations like Scottish forestry making sure felling applications and mm. things happen but no one was really covering the grey squirrel aspect um, unfortunately they are the biggest threat to red squirrels particularly in Scotland at the moment trying to kind of defend that highland line as we call it where there is that overlap of reds and greys and it's for a couple of reasons so grey squirrels aren't supposed to be in the UK they're not native they're actually invasive they're about twice the size of red squirrels they were brought over by the Victorians they didn't have cameras and phones to take lovely photos and bring them back to show people all their exciting finds so instead what they did was they brought them back with them as gifts and things for people which may have been lovely at the time but not the best idea and the Victorians have a lot to answer for Mm -hmm. Um, so they were brought over from America in the 19th century they're eastern grey squirrels and in America they have to compete with lots of different other species other squirrels chipmunks um, some different birds as well so they've adapted to being amazing at being squirrels they're just like the best squirrel they can be mm-hmm. unfortunately red squirrels didn't really have that pressure Mm-mm. so they haven't really evolved or adapted or anything to have this competition so they're not too good at kind of dealing with that they kind of take a step back instead Um, And it just means that the grey squirrels can take over. So what they do is they'll move into a woodland and they actually outcompete the reds both for food and shelter. Um, Red squirrels can be quite fussy in what they eat because they were able to previously. They didn't have to compete with anything. Grey squirrels, because they've lived um, and evolved and adapted in America, 
there's over 60 different types of oak trees in America and they obviously produce acorns. Acorns contain something called tannins which is what you find in tea and it can be quite a difficult thing to digest. Um, so grey squirrels have become really good at digesting that and getting loads of nutrients from it but red squirrels can't really do that as much. They'll eat them but they really need a varied diet mm -hmm. um, and if they ate only them they wouldn't actually be able to get enough nutrition from them. So because greys are really good at that they'll just spreads really far and eat kind of all the acorns and and go from there mm -hmm. they can also breed really really well and they'll breed at any time of year they're not restricted by kind of what happens in the autumn time mm -hmm. they're a bit bigger so they kind of bully them out a little bit too and so they just take over they can usually take over a woodland in about 15 years and then there's no reds in there anymore They'd have taken over anyway, but unfortunately they brought an extra present with them, um, which they brought over squirrel pox virus, which mm. is a disease that doesn't affect them, but it does affect red squirrels, unfortunately, really quickly. And it actually speeds up the process of them taking over woodland by 20 times. So they carry it, but it doesn't hurt them. If a red squirrel then is infected by it, it can take um, within two weeks for them to die. Uh, quite quickly and uh, they die as a result of infection and malnutrition because they can't really move around very much. It's very quick. So with the resident red population gone, the greys come in and take over even more. And then it's hard for the reds to establish again. So, um, yeah, so our project is mainly kind of trying to make red squirrel areas better and working in these overlap areas we, where we see the two species mm -hmm. and to try and kind of separate the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's there's so many aspects of it. As you say, you know, I kind of look at them and think the greys are literally, you know, bigger and kind of cheekier. And you could, you know, they're, as you say, they've adapted to a, a different um, climate and a different environment but there's so many other things as you say like the kind of competition for food or the or habitat and the, and the disease side of it I mean I guess the degrees just coming into their area that's they're just kind of spreading the disease that way I guess aren't they I mean do they have do they fight with each other do they have direct contact or um, they can do not very regularly actually they tend to just say they'll um, if you've got a bird feeder in your garden they'll visit it you might get them coming together because it is quite a luxurious food source for them they don't have to do anything mm. like they don't really have to exert any much effort or energy to get that because it's there ready um, but they will kind of overlap but it's more we're not 100% sure how the virus is spread we think potentially through shared resources like that um, so that's why these overlap areas are quite key because we know they're together and um, thankfully um, in the regions that we're in now um, Scotland only had squirrel pox as of 2005 it came up in the grey squirrel population it's come up from England it just so happened that when the Victorians brought the greys over the ones that came into Scotland didn't have squirrel pox it's just come up from the southern south mm. of England um, so we've been watching it spread and that's another thing that we do as a project is we keep an eye on where squirrel pox virus is in the populations it's thought in England and south Scotland it's in about 60 percent of the grey squirrel population so it's very well established and so one some of the main things in those south regions around those priority areas is really trying to separate the two species so there is no way that pox can kind of get into those mm -hmm. red areas um in kind of the central lowlands area we're still we're keeping an eye on the track of it thankfully it hasn't got into red squirrel populations yet but we anticipate it moving kind of slowly further up thankfully it's been slower than we ever anticipated which is good mm -hmm. um so yeah kind of keeping an eye out is quite key and just educating people mm -hmm. on knowing that it is an issue yeah um, and just like imagine if you've got like bird feeders or squirrel feeders or anything like that just keep like cleaning them and stuff like that yeah. and, and maintaining them and and then um, yeah I mean little things like that you might not think about but it could literally mean yeah life or death for the wee red squirrels so so it's important yeah. if we're if we're contributing any sort of food in the garden or anything that we we keep the feeding station yeah. clean I guess 
Yeah, very much. Like, not just for squirrel pox, but yeah, just for kind of wildlife health in general. It's mm-hmm. just a good idea to kind of, I know it's not nice to stop feeding. I've got a bird food and it's lovely looking at all the birds, but I do give it a bit of a break every once in a while, mm-hmm. of like a week or so. Just give it a good clean, just stop for a bit. And you also don't want things to be too reliant on you because if you were to move or yeah. something was to happen, you want them to be able to eat other things. So yeah, um, and I, yeah, I know a lot of people... Um, like giving peanuts that's quite a popular one and we obviously use it in our surveys and things too but actually um, if squirrels were only to eat peanuts and they'd actually become calcium deficient so Mm -hmm. it's good to kind of Mm -hmm. ensure they're getting out and thankfully they're quite good at their diet and making sure it's a varied diet Mm -hmm. unlike some of us Um, (laughs) yeah but but yeah so it's good to kind of do a bit of a mixture and just give it a break every once in a while and definitely clean them frequently yeah no I've had conversations with people about stuff like that because you see when you see them starting to come whatever it is whether it's birds or squirrels or anything to your garden you want to keep seeing them but as you say it's so important that the animals also look after themselves I guess and and still remember that they have to go and find things I mean what is did did you mention earlier on that springs maybe kind of when they're struggling a bit because they've kind of used up all their winter resources I mean is that a good time to to put food out for them or yeah so a lot of people think that winter's quite bad but actually they they're pretty good at sorting themselves out so kind of spring summer is actually the time that they need a bit more of a helping hand than normal Mm -hmm. and then autumn time is when they've obviously kind of they've had some flowers at the end of summer and then they've got all the nuts and seeds coming off and actually sometimes people people see the squirrels disappear from their gardens for a while as they actually get ready for winter in the autumn time mm-hmm. so there's nothing to worry about it's just they're actually being quite sensible mm-hmm. um but yeah over the summer is actually the more kind of key time to mm-hmm. give squirrels a helping hand mm-hmm. and what you mentioned peanuts I mean what are the best things if you're if you've got a squirrel feeder are peanuts the best things to put out I mean, peanuts is probably the easiest and definitely the cheapest. Mm-hmm. They love hazelnuts, but that can get pretty costly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you've probably seen them just on bird food mixes. Yeah. They're pretty good at just taking anything and everything. Yeah. Um, they do like bits of apple and carrot as well. That can help with their calcium intake too. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got any kind of little veggie scraps like that, mm-hmm. they'll also kind of have a nibble. And if you um, are walking through the woods and find a deer antler or have cuttlefish or anything quite often people do for birds the squirrels will actually eat that as well mm. as a nice source of calcium cool and I mean you you can obviously get all sorts of different feeders I mean I've worked in bigger estates and we've had specific squirrel feeders so you know so that it is just kind of the squirrels hopefully mostly that are that are going in to get the food and not like other cheeky birds or something that are just coming and stealing it all um I mean you mentioned as well I guess the main thing you guys are trying to do is kind of maintain the the reds pop like populations and their habitat I mean so is there a solution to kind of not controlling but maintaining the greys like trying to stop them from traveling up further north like what what can you guys do is it is it just kind of monitoring that's monitoring and seeing where the populations are living so at the minute the main thing is monitoring seeing where they are and then focusing on those areas at the minute the only way we can do anything is actually controlling and removing those gray squirrels from the landscape there are lots of investigations into whether there's a contraceptive that we could give to greys so therefore they just don't breed so the population's not getting any better mm-hmm. but that's still in development um, with uk squirrel accord and that's going to take quite a few years because you also not only do you have to design the drugs that they're going to take but also the delivery system because obviously you don't want anything else to eat it mm-hmm. um if it's stopping them producing so there's mm-hmm. a lot of work going into that and a lot of research yeah. um but yeah at the moment the only way is really 
really to remove them from the landscape um, and we do a lot of training and kind of working with landowners to do that mm -hmm. but we only do it in key areas where it's actually going to make a difference mm -hmm. um, so in those kind of overlap bits we work closely with local communities volunteers homeowners um, to kind of discuss the different options of that too um, and it's actually worth knowing that um, it's actually illegal to keep a grey squirrel in captivity mm -hmm. or even to release it if you've accidentally caught it mm. um, so you need to actually talk to like I know I've heard a couple of stories of kind of squirrels getting stuck in bird feeders because they've been a bit too excited about getting in mm -hmm. and you actually need to uh, give the SSPCA or RSPCA wherever you are in the country a ring um, to help because mm -hmm. because uh, it's yeah <laughs> because they are because they're such an invasive species yeah i guess um yeah because they don't only affect uh, red squirrels there's also evidence of them damaging uh, lots of trees um they can live in much higher densities there's a lot more gray squirrels in a woodland than red squirrels and they take over so much they almost run out of food for themselves and they'll start stripping the bark off trees to get to the sap because they're hungry mm -hmm. um, and they do cause a lot of issues with woodland especially new planting because of all the young mm -hmm. uh, trees yeah um but they are also known to eat birds eggs quite a lot mm -hmm. more more than red squirrels um so that can be quite damaging for local mm -hmm. kind of small bird populations so they are quite an issue um just generally do you know um how many i mean you mentioned earlier on how many red squirrels there approximately are do you know how many greys are there in britain do we know approximately three million possibly God. more now <laughs> yeah because that's a very old figure and they're all very approximate because it's really hard to tell yeah individuals apart both of reds and greys so um it's definitely an approximation <laughs> no i know i mean i growing up and going to the likes of either glasgow or edinburgh parks or anywhere you you see you see greys obviously you see them and they are cute and stuff but you see them all the time um and it's just up in this area as you see into the trossacks that you actually see both greys and reds really in the same place that's the first time i've ever experienced it anyway but yeah, a lot of people maybe don't realise that greys aren't native. They're not from here and they've been introduced. And it's it's not the greys' fault. It's people's fault, as you say. It's the Victorians yeah. who brought them over. But it's but that's the case with so many so many invasive species, particularly on islands. Um, so I imagine they're still doing pretty well over in America as well. Um, but as you say, they've got all these different species that they've got to compete with a wee bit. We talked about what the the red squirrels look like. I mean. Am I right in saying that if people are looking at them and an idea in them, as you say, it's not just the coat colour necessarily you can, because I know some greys can be quite kind of auburn colour as well. So yeah. what what's the best advice? I mean, is it to do with their size, the shape of their face? What do you think people can look out for if they're trying to ID them from far away? Um, well, there's a couple of different things. So obviously you can look at colour a little bit, but just don't be too short especially if it just suddenly whizzes past you <laughs> in the top of the trees um because they can be quite hard to figure out even i've gone like i don't actually know yeah um size is quite a good one but you do have to be quite careful because young gray squirrels can look a very similar size to reds mm -hmm. um and if they do have a bit of a reddy ginger tinge on them you just wouldn't know mm -hmm. obviously ear tufts as we've talked about before but they're not always that helpful because they don't always have them. Um, mm. The face shape is quite a key one. So this is going to sound slightly biased now, mm. but the red squirrels tend to be more athletic looking, yeah. kind of slender, and they have really kind of small faces, mm. um, almost kind of mouse-like, whereas grey squirrels are twice the size. They almost look kind of bodybuilder <laughs> squirrely, and they've got much bigger faces, almost kind of rat-like, so a slightly longer face. Yeah. Um, so that's probably quite a good way. But again, you have to be able to see their faces mm -hmm. to yeah, no. get that. The other key thing that you can look at is their tails. Mm -hmm. So red squirrels tend to have a similar color. They might have some kind of color variation, but it tends to be a similar color. Um, and with the gray squirrels, they actually have a very distinctive band around the outside of their tail that we call a halo. 
and it's kind of the very end of their hairs is white so it actually kind of looks like they've kind of painted around their tail in white and that's quite a distinctive feature that the gray squirrels have that the reds don't so that is quite a key thing to look for mm-hmm. um if anyone's ever kind of concerned just um kind of take a step back have a think about it we do ask for sightings which we'll probably discuss mm-hmm. shortly um if you're not sure just write that you're not sure mm-hmm. if you can get a photo even better um, I've looked at a lot of squirrel pictures in my <laughs> last five years, so I have a pretty good idea. Just don't be too concerned. It's it's useful to know there's squirrels in the area, and then we could investigate it further if we need to. I guess the best thing, the best advice I'd give is just to stay still and stay quiet. I've watched many of them on a squirrel feeder or on a bird feeder because if you just stay nice and quiet, they won't really you know notice you're there or bother with yeah. you. So so that's sometimes the best way to to see them. So before we get on to kind of talking a wee bit more about what you you do in that regard. There are some other species that interact with them, obviously, as we've said, in the environment. So you, am I right in saying that pine martens in Scotland are quite important? Kind of learning a wee bit about reds and greys? Yeah, so they've got quite an interesting relationship between pine martens, red squirrels and grey squirrels. Um, so pine martens are omnivores. They eat both vegetables, kind of plant matter and also meat. So they can occasionally eat squirrels. Uh, it's not a big part of their diet, but it can be a decent amount. For anyone who doesn't know what a pine martin is like, it's kind of cat-sized. Um, so you've got kind of the smallest being red squirrel, then you've got a grey squirrel, and then you've got the pine martin. It's quite key for the minute. So they don't tend to eat squirrels, but it's not to say that they won't hunt one down and eat one. Mm-hmm. Um, both red and grey squirrels have been found in their diet. Um, pine martins are again native, so they've actually kind of evolved and adapted over time with the red squirrels. Uh, the grey squirrel is kind of a new thing for them. And we actually find more grey squirrels in their diet than we do reds. Mm. There's a couple of different suggestions as to why that is. And what research has found both in Ireland and also in Scotland is that in areas that have pine martins, they can actually help to reduce the grey squirrel population or keep it kind of to a minimum mm. and that the red squirrel population flourishes. Mm. So we don't quite know what's happening, but a couple of suggestions as to why this is, is that um, red squirrels are smaller, therefore they could get to the thinnest branches at the very top of the tree and the pine martins can't follow them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pine martin won't exert too much energy if it has to really chase something down, so they can be a little bit lazy. Mm-hmm. Whereas grey squirrels, because they're a bit heavier, they can't get as far away from the pine martins. Um, the other thing is that uh, grey squirrels spend a lot more time on the ground than red squirrels do, and that's quite easy prey mm. for a pine martin to move quite fast. There's a bit of evidence uh, coming out at the moment that shows that red squirrels actually know to avoid pine martin smell. Um, so some research in Ireland sprayed some feeder boxes with the smell of pine martin, and they found that red squirrels are come and investigate and then disappear before do- quite quickly before doing anything else, but actually grey squirrels just carried on eating. Mm-hmm. The grey squirrels aren't used to them mm-hmm. as a predator. They don't realise that they're a danger. There isn't really anything that um, overlaps with where they live in America, so they're just not used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be that pine martins could help control grey squirrels at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. And what we've found um, just anecdotally in a couple of our areas is if we've gone in and removed some of the greys, there's still a few left normally because we can't get all of them. Pine martins then come in and start kind of getting the odd little ones that are left over and then the red squirrels come in again as well. So the pine martins and reds kind of come in together and they really work well. They have kind of, yeah, work very well in unison together in our landscape. 
you know that's really interesting but then it just shows that another yeah why it's so important to keep all these different species or native species kind of the populations doing well because as you say they're just helping helping without people getting involved too much um but no that's quite interesting i can imagine right enough that the red squirrels are more aware um of the of the pine martins and to stay away from them because they can i've seen i've, I've seen quite big ones they can get quite big can't they yeah. <laughs> now moving on a wee bit to talk about you guys have loads of volunteers don't you i, I guess in normal circumstances i don't know how it's been this year but you've got loads of different volunteers all over the country that that help support your work so can you tell the listeners a wee bit about that and how they could get involved if they're interested yeah sure so we work with loads of different people um so landowners volunteers homeowners just members of the public um and there's loads of different ways that people can help so we do run surveys but one of the big things anyone can help with is reporting sightings to our website Mm -hmm. scottishsquirrels.org.uk they can report it anywhere in Scotland and they're really crucial for us to understand what's going on. Um, there's just two of us in the region that I work in, staff members. So we really rely on everyone else to tell us what's going on as well. Um, with the past year, with less of our activities that we normally do, we obviously really didn't know what was going on. So we put some big calls out last year to people to help us and let us know what was happening. Um, and we got a phenomenal response. So it really, mm-hmm. really helped us to understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone can do that and help us with that. In terms of volunteering, we do run extra surveys because even though our sightings are really informative, they just tell us where people and squirrels are, not where squirrels are on their own. Mm-hmm. So you can see exactly where all the footpaths are in the woodland. So we want to know kind of the other bits. Yeah. Um, so we put some feeder boxes up. We actually put a little bit of sticky tape on the lid. So as they open the lid, they leave some hair behind as well. And that can help us understand what's going on, especially for the shyer individuals out there that don't want to be around people so we can understand what's happening so that's volunteers can do that um, landowners can help us by allowing us access or running it themselves and then there's also the gray squirrel kind of removal control aspect that, that people can help us with too mm-hmm. and they can also help us test for squirrel pox virus in the gray squirrel population so we know whereabouts in the country it's so there's all sorts of different ways you can get involved um as i mentioned last year was a fantastic year for sightings um we had over twenty thousand sightings submitted to the website wow and we normally get about nine thousand, so it was a bit busy but (laughs) fantastic we also do a survey like a big public engagement event at the last week in september called the great scottish rural survey it's a little bit like bird watch and things like that mm-hmm. um where we ask people to let us know if they've got a squirrel visiting their garden red or gray we want to know about both um or if they've got one that they frequently see on a local walk because um, it gives us a snapshot of what's happening across the country just for that week um so if you've got squirrels visiting that's great um let us know we try and ask people to let us know if they've got a regular visitor to their garden they don't have to report it every time they see one because it could be multiple visits mm-hmm. a day But just every so often, once a year is great because then it will go on our map and we can um, kind of understand what's happening a little bit better over the different years. Or even if something changes, so you've only had two squirrels and suddenly you get three. Mm -hmm. Or if you haven't seen them for a couple of months and then they suddenly come back again, that's good too. Or we share all of our data with a website called MBN Atlas and it helps to um, advise planning and felling kind of activities so they know to look out for red squirrels. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's quite a key one to Mm -hmm. um, feed into. So it helps other things and not just where our work should focus on too. Yeah. 
That's cool. So, I mean, obviously I'll share it, all the social media and the website and stuff when I, when I post this, but, um, but no, it is really cool. I mean, I, as soon as I found out about it years ago, I, I got involved and probably harassed you too much, putting too many sightings on it. But, um, but it is interesting as well to go on and look like to see where you live and what, if it's just gray or just red or both, you know, it's, it's quite interesting as a, just to be nosy and see, see what's about. <laughs> um, and it is, uh, as you say, it's important because you can see the distinct areas where maybe the grades are moving into and, and causing problems so no, it's really yeah. it's really you'll also you'll also see on that map that there could be some gaps and maybe you know there's squirrels in there it's just no one's told us that's why it's not on there mm. so it's nice to give us a hand or at least go and have a look locally and see if you see anything yeah no I need to I want to get out and about soon and, and go and look for some reds and take some photos that would be cool but so no there are lots of ways that people can kind of support your work then and get involved and then I imagine once things are a wee bit back to normal then you'll be at all sorts of events and and people can come and chat to you I know that when you have your stall out it's it's really interesting because you've got all sorts of different things that kids and adults can can look at and touch and, <laughs> and, and learn about and you can see the difference between a red squirrel and a gray squirrel close up but no that's cool and um, so I as I said earlier on in the beginning I always like to chat to the guests about their background and their kind of route into their current job. So we've obviously talked a lot about your role and what you do, but how did you get into this role and, and what kind of stuff have you done in your past in regards to conservation? Yeah, sure. Uh, it'll be a very quick whistle because <laughs> you don't know everything and I'll kind of bounce around the world a little bit. Um, but essentially I started at a really early age um, my dad used to take me in a little backpack like one of the ones you put the kids in yeah. bird watching and things so it kind of all started from there so I've always been kind of involved in nature and we had loads of pets and all sorts of things like that I decided to delay my start going to university and I took a gap year I worked as a waitress to get the money for it first mm. um, and I worked at a wildlife rehabilitation center in South Africa which was amazing cool. um, almost didn't go to uni and didn't come home but I did. um <laughs> I uh, then thought, okay, I really would quite like to work with animals. I then said, okay, I'll, well, I'll go to uni and I'll see what happens. So I did an undergrad in biology and psychology at Kiel. Um, and I did both because I didn't actually want to choose which one I wanted to do. Um, I can be a bit lazy in decision making. <laughs> um, I wanted to keep all my options open, so that's what I did. Uh, whilst I was at uni, I um, found out about different volunteering opportunities I could do overseas. Um, and I actually went to Honduras for the two summers when I didn't have courses. Mm. Um, in the second one, I did my biology thesis on hummingbirds, mm. which is pretty cool. cool. I then took another little break to figure out what I wanted to do. Did a master's in conservation and biodiversity down in Exeter, but in their Cornwall campus. Mm -hmm. And I looked at barn swallows and how agricultural land affected them, like whether there was cattle and things like that around. Um, and then after that, I did lots of different volunteering around the world. So I didn't have to pay to do things um, and I didn't really get paid, but I kind of got paid in like flights and food and accommodation. So I didn't have to spend anything, but I didn't get anything, but learned lots mm -hmm. about all sorts of things. And uh, so I traveled all over the place, really. So South Africa, Australia, just, yeah, mm -hmm. all sorts. Um, got to work with loads of different, really cool organizations, people and animals, both birds and small mammals. Um, I had fallen in love with big wildcats, but then realized I wouldn't actually get to handle them mm -hmm. if I did that. I'd probably like do a little bit and then see them from a distance. I really wanted to get hands on. So I did that. 
after bouncing around a bit, I then attempted two different PhDs. <laughs> um, I said attempted because I left both of them <laughs> for various different reasons. Most people don't quite admit to that, but I think it's quite important. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it just doesn't I, end up being what you think it's going to yeah, be. Yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> um, so one was looking at feral cats in Australia and how they impacted on small mammal communities. And then the other one was in um, Canada looking at bats. There's a disease that's coming across um, America and Canada from the east to the west that's affecting bats during hibernation. So they were amazing projects, but just didn't quite work out. Uh, then I came back here to the UK down by London, which is where I'm from originally uh, in 2015 and came back, didn't know what I wanted to do, was living with my parents and then my husband, who I'd suddenly acquired mm -hmm. in Canada. <laughs> Uh, needs a job so I went for Aldi grocery stores um, <laughs> yeah. and then kept having a look around to see what else was there and found same as got red squirrels applied didn't get it because I didn't know enough about the area um, so we've got five different project regions um, so I'm one of five conservation officers I applied for every other conservation officer role before I got mine so basically just keep trying yeah you'll get there in the end even if you just wear them down um <laughs> and I've been here for almost five years yeah so um yeah that's kind of a bit of a whistle stop weird tour but yeah so bounced around doing all sorts yeah but it, it shows though that you um I mean you're, you're you've still got loads of years left to do all sorts of other things as well but it shows though that you you've moved around and you've you've worked with different species I mean that's the thing I've talked to all the different guests so far about you know their experience and their advice to people and it, it I think it volunteering is obviously one of the main things that comes up you know as you say it's it's not necessarily great you don't get paid and you and stuff but you but you get amazing experience and you, there's so many there are so many different projects you know covert permitting eventually that people can get involved in if they can manage to to get there um and give up their time but but I think it's good to have you're like me I mean I'm, I'm interested in loads of different things I don't have one particular thing that I've been obsessed with so I think that's a good thing is that what your kind of advice would be then for people who are trying to get into conservation just keep trying <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So a lot, just keep trying. And also don't be worried if you go off track, because I know a lot of people um, that I've kind of met along the way are just like, oh, I really want to do this. Mm -hmm. And then you get in touch with them like three years later and they're doing something completely different or they're really annoyed because they haven't done that one thing. Mm -hmm. So I was certain when I was doing my gap year that I wanted to work with big cats. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't care how it happened. And then was like, oh, hold on. But that doesn't actually give me what I want to do I want to be hands-on like I want to play with mm -hmm. things not really playing with it but mm -hmm. I want to do it in the wild but yeah so I mean I wouldn't be afraid to try it like yeah I applied for the same job in different and eventually got it but also like I've never been a fan of having a solid plan like I've always just kind of muddled through it and mm -hmm. figured out like I wouldn't just don't say no to opportunities that arise and if you get a good feeling about it and go oh I really fancy that rather than a no that's not for me like obviously you kind of go with your gut a little bit mm -hmm. um but also you never know what skills are going to be useful so I accidentally ended up running a motel in New Zealand and like all sorts and I was talking about conservation with most of the people that stayed so I kind of learned a lot more about engagement with people and it's kind of helped like that side of things a lot more than I ever thought it would or kind of money management and budgeting for mm -hmm. things and yeah or um I worked as a light and sound engineer in the students union when I was at uni and then I had to deal with like solar panels and things in Canada and I was like it gave me the confidence to at least try and figure out what it was rather than going oh I don't do electronics yeah you know? <laughs> so yeah anything's useful you can always turn it to kind of help you somewhere or another yeah um so, yeah <laughs> don't be afraid to try and 
give it a go yeah yeah no you're right and as you say like you pointed out some good random examples there yeah that you're you <laughs> I'm the same though you get you have so many different experiences throughout life and it it does all come back to be useful somehow um and I think yeah just get as you say don't say no to opportunities but as they arise just get out there and, and give it a go um and then see what happens um well we have run out of time unfortunately but as I say I'll share all the different the website and all the social media and all the different ways that people can learn more about saving Scotland's red squirrels when I post um but thank you so much Marianne for joining us it's been lovely to chat to you and I look forward to getting out and about and looking for some red squirrels soon hopefully thanks thanks for inviting me (laughs) 